Okay, everybody, welcome to episode number 34 of the John Riley Project. And, you know, this is a podcast about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I am so pleased to talk about my guest, Pete Neald, and his own pursuit of happiness. And we're going to talk about Corvettes. Pete, welcome back. This is Thank you. number four. Visit number four. Visit number four. That's so awesome. Love having you here. You've been a great guest in the past. You were a candidate here for Poway City Council. Yep. And yep. you're saying you're going to run again in 2022? Run again? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So you're a, a dedicated... I'm, I'm just very low-key about it. Okay. Well, yeah, you're building the infrastructure for 2022, That's right? exactly right. <laughs> but you're a community guy. We see you around the city here of Poway driving Calypso. Your Corvette. And we're going to talk about really the whole process of how you bought the car. And Correct. you've shared some of these stories with me personally. And I think there's a lot of listeners, a lot of viewers that would love to hear your story about your custom Corvette. Cool. Yeah. It's it's an interesting experience. Of course, I am focused on Corvettes. I wasn't always uh, focused on Corvettes. Um, I started off earlier just loving cars, period, as a hike mm -hmm. all right mm -hmm. but then things come into your life and you learn things and your your interest get goes through a channel but um, at, at age 50 uh, I made the jump over to Corvette and I'm not sorry about it so at all it's not a midlife crisis or anything no, right <laughs> no no well other than the fact that that was at the beginning of when my kids were at the stage of just about to move out. Yeah. Okay. Empty nester is a big change drove, in life. I drove vans for a long damn time. And uh, a two-seater was was my future. One, yeah. Wendy and I, and, and that was it. Nobody in the back, no child seats, nothing. You know? Right on. I mean, I, I had a Mustang guy, friend of mine, said, but it doesn't have a back seat. And I said, your point is, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have a back seat. Yeah, you know? right on. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go through that whole thing uh, because it's, it's quite large. Now, the other motivation I have, I, I want to spend a lot of time because this, we're talking about Calypso now, not just Corvettes in general. Okay. Calypso but, is your Corvette. Calypso is my Corvette. A friend yeah. of mine gave me the name. It was his suggestion. Calypso, if you go back into Greek mythology, is the siren on the island of Cyprus or Crete mm -hmm. that lured sailors to their death. <laughs> so I said, you know, that name fits because this is my last car. It, I'm, I'm approaching the point in my life where not too far downstream the kids are going to say, Dad, we're taking your keys away. Uh-oh. Because I am an aggressive driver. Right. There's, I mean, everybody in town knows that I'm an aggressive driver. Right. All right. So, yeah, there's going to come a point where my keys get taken. That happened to Prince Philip in England, didn't he? Yeah, it did. But he was in his 90s. He kept <laughs> he was been driving. Yeah, yeah. But you got a long ways to go till you get well, there. Well, life expectancy in the Neal family is not that good. For the meal of the species... If I make it to 80, I'll be the longest living one. So oh, no. But my mom just made it to 101. Oh, right on. See, there you go. So, so you're going to be with us a long time. If some of that DNA made the jump over, <laughs> you know, from the female side of the family mm -hmm. to the male side of the family, I got some. Well, wouldn't it be cool if you're, you know, 10, 
20 years later and you still have Calypso as this cherry, uh, beautiful Corvette. That's It'll be why, a collector's item. That's why I selected Calypso. Yeah. Is because I hate to say this to GM ad, uh, addicts like myself, but it took them 60 some years to figure out how to build a car. Okay. I mean, there was a lot of generations of Corvettes that came through, Mm -hmm. and and they travel in surges. I I don't know if you're familiar with that part of it. I'll I'll bring that up right off the bat. Okay. My charts, just like the campaign. (laughs) Just like Ross Perot, you know, with your charts. I love this. All right. This will be available. We can edit this in. But here's all the generations of Corvettes. And you can see that, that... as every generation changes, there's a, there's a surge in sales that immediately follow it, okay? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the tricky thing about buying. If you buy in the latter part of a generation, the production is low, you can get your order processed pretty quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. With the purchase of Calypso, I learned why men don't do pregnancies. <laughs> why is that? Because it took nine months for Calypso to be born. Really? Yeah. Really? Nine months? <laughs> Nine months. Okay, wow. I, I put my deposit down on Calypso on uh, December 13th, and it was the end of July before she was done. Yeah, that's yeah, it's just about nine, yeah. So we'll cover that. Okay, good. Let's okay. do it. Um, but ordering a custom-built car, I, I, I had my C5. I was delighted with my C5. C5 was my most reliable car that I've ever owned in my life. Now, C5 in, is a Corvette generation? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. this is a 7, right? This is a 7. Mm-hmm. There wasn't much of a change from the C5 to the C6. I didn't see any motivation to moving to the C6. Mm-hmm. There was no impetus there. Mm-hmm. But when the rumors started to come out about the C7, and I saw the, the spy photos of GM development, I said, oh, man. That's a car. Right. Because this was during the bailout. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> okay. 08, 09, that time frame? Well, it it started there. Okay. Yeah. They thought Corvette was going to be dead. Yeah. There was okay. a lot of concern. Right. So President Obama sent his committee to GM mm-hmm. to negotiate the deal. And this is documented in the book. Oh. Uh, there's a book that I can share with you. There's about eight people involved <laughs> going from the Obama administration to talk to GM to what kind of a bailout are we going to do. Right. All right. And they GM flat admitted Corvette's dead. <laughs> of the seven guys in the room, four of them are Corvette owners. Ah. Uh, <laughs> and they said, no, no, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah, right on. <laughs> As a matter of fact, that is, you know, your big car. Yeah. We want you to put more emphasis on that. Yeah. And that gave birth to the C7. Right on. Okay. Well, so great story there. So they made a major change, a lot of engineering changes, which I, as a scientist, I appreciate. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get into the details of it. But, yeah, it was a long process because I was, I was purchasing a car right at that generational change. All right. Mm-hmm. That red bar is the number of orders of people who were thinking about ordering custom-built cars. It's it's not a small number. When no. you come to Corvettes, there's a large number of people that will want to buy their car. Well, how many, what's the ratio of people that custom order versus just buying one off the lot? Probably around 10%. That'll custom order? Yeah. 
but those are customers that know what they want. Yeah. If you take a time off from your, I'm going to promote something here. Okay, please. North County Corvette Club does the Plastic Fantastic. It's an all Corvette car show. It's in the Embarcadero downtown. Oh, nice. Nice little spit of land there. Yeah. We maxed out. We, the, the Port Authority only allows us 400 cars. So there'll be 400 Corvettes on May 19th. Wow. And of those people, I would say pr- pretty close, of that population, pretty close to 20% are going to be custom-built Corvettes. Really? I would almost think it would even be higher than that. 70% will be people who bought Corvettes and then have made them custom. Ah, uh, okay. Now no, that makes sense, yeah. All right. There's a huge number of people. Yeah. Very few cars that start off on a showroom and go right to a car show. Well, yeah, yeah. That's hard to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're not going to get any attention. You got to be special. Right. Okay. So, um, it took Calypso four years to get her first trophy. That's her first trophy right there. Nice. <laughs> that is a little tongue-in-cheek humor because El Cajon Ford was the sponsor of the show, <laughs> and a Chevy won it. You know. So yeah, yeah fine. <laughs> um, nothing against Ford's. I have lots of friends that are Ford fanatics. Well, you had a Mustang. I'm a, uh, I had a Mustang. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we've covered the bridge of um, wanting a Corvette. Mm-hmm. You want to know where it really started? Where's that? Let me get that book out. I promised this book in one of my podcasts before. But here's my book on the history and research That's where my love of cars started. Look at that. All right. Those are those little pedal cars. That's exactly right. Those are nice. There's my first two Corvettes. That's the day that I sold my first Corvette Mm -hmm. and bought the C5. Wow. And then the C5 was replaced. So this is your third Corvette. Yeah. This is my third Corvette. Right on. But as I said, that C5 was... Faultless. I never missed an appointment, never missed a meeting, always on time, never let me down. Yes, I did maintenance on it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was in the shop. But it was always on my terms. Right on. Now, my Austin Healey, earlier oh. in life. Oh. All right, Those cars, they just break down. <laughs> you had no yeah. chance of figuring out yeah. whether the car was going to run or not when right. you got into it. Right. I mean, and if you started to work on it, if you started to pay attention to it, it would then spend a lot of time showing you what else was wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I, I, but those, it was a great car. They're, well, they're beautiful. And they're, my, my uncle had one of those back in the 70s. Yeah, that's me in the yeah, 70s. Yeah, right on. In Hawaii. I mean, can it be any better? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Austin Healy in the yeah. mountain roads goes through the uh, Leaky Leaky Highway. Was one of my favorite roads. Uh, that's that's. A, and I took on a Porsche, coming down the leaky leaky. How'd that work out? We worked match gear for gear, but what he didn't realize is I had the electronic overdrive. Ah. All right. So when he heard me shift a fifth time, <laughs> he got really panicky. <laughs> About a hundred feet farther down, my fuel pump quit. Oh. <laughs> so I'm up to the side of the road, ka 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 ka, and he went by waving. So. Yeah, Porsches. Uh, I don't have much light for them. 
All right, so let's go back to the start. I talk about predisposition in my book. Okay. Right, why I'm predisposed to, mm -hmm. to buy a Corvette. But then I go through all the different cars that I've owned that were my car. And we're not talking family cars here. We're not talking about the Aerostar. Right. We're not talking about the Villager. We're talking about my cars. Yeah, nice. All right. So pedal car, 63 Chevy 2, there's the Austin Healey, the MG, and then the Corvettes. So right in between the MG. I actually had a big wheel strapped down to the roof of my MG. My daughter, Timber, was very young. Right, and right. We went, we went camping in the MG, and I remember tying down a big wheel to the roof of the car. <laughs> and that, that's probably when you had the reality check yeah. that you needed a back seat and, a, yeah. and a, maybe a minivan or something, so right? So then... The seeds of the need. This uh -huh. is where the addiction starts. Right. All right. When I started to find out what they were doing with the C7 Corvette, which was a radical change from previous Corvettes, mm -hmm. back to the 60s in some respects, engineering-wise, mm -hmm. uh, I, I spent a page on that. But this is the one that I hold near and dear because my mom just passed away December 21st. Mm. But she wrote a letter and it, it, it closes with the fact that she was ending that letter and I just called her and let her know that Calypso was ready and I was on my way to the East Coast. Nice. So it was perfect timing. That was actually taking place before and after. But I get into the facts and the figures of, you know, what there is about the car, talking to people, what do I do? That's the entire book. That came up to December 13th. Okay, so this is prior to picking up the car? Prior, prior, to, prior order. to even ordering it. This is unbelievable. <laughs> so we have a whole book on the history and research leading up to ordering, ordering the, the car. car. So this is like the first book of the trilogy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay? Absolutely. So this is like um, the Fellowship of the Ring, I guess. So yeah. this so is unbelievable. Okay. This one is twice the size. This is nine months. Uh, That's my order number. Mm -hmm. That's my VIN number. Those uh, are the two numbers that are bookend the nine months. Right, right. From the time that I placed the order to the time that I got the car. Awesome. All right. So everything is documented there. Now, this is where I get into why I wanted to do this podcast I thought of it back during the campaign. You, you wanted to be informative at that point in time. And plus, I said, okay, I can inform people about buying a car. Yeah, you can. All right. Ordering a car. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, most people, they go onto the showroom floor, they look at a car, they'll buy that one. Or they'll buy one that's in the lot. Right. Okay. You're stuck with that car as it's configured. Now, you'll change your mind as you walk around the lot. I like this color, I like that color, mm -hmm. but this one has this and this one has that. So you're you're mulling over, this'll do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where the, the way you end up is, is you buy your car. Well, it's got most of what I want. And you had asked a question at one time a little while ago about, well, how many options are there? All right, what's your choice? Here it is, folks. 
Oh, my God. This is the Excel spreadsheet of all the possible options of a C7 Corvette. Wow. So you went through each one of these and said yes or no? Yes or no. This is unbelievable. Read some of them so we can understand. Well, they're not going to mean anything to a lot of people, okay? And this is really small print, but Laguna Blue Tint Coat. (laughs) That's the color of the paint. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Kalahari Leather Interior. Do I want the sports seat? Do I want the standard seat? Well, I'm going to put it on the racetrack. Maybe the sports seat is a good idea. Well, not for $600 more. Ah. So this compromises you make as you yeah. go through. But the choi- the fact of the matter is that car doesn't exist. You're specifying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? You're describing. So when you get done, the items in blue are the th- options that I bought. Wow. Okay, the ones in black, I said no. There's a few that you've circled. Yeah, I've circled those because of a very specific reason. And we're sitting here on the anniversary of a very important date. Five years ago today, at the Corvette Museum in Bowling Green, the bottom fell out. Literally. They had built the museum. The rotunda of the museum was built over a sinkhole that they had no knowledge of. Oh. On February 12th, in the early morning hours, the floor gave way. It swallowed eight museum cars. Oh, my God. All right. Today is that day. Wow. Five years ago, today, they went to work that morning and uh, we got a problem. (laughs) Well, coincidentally, this was my order list. Right. Here is a listing of the different steps you go through in purchasing a car when you're custom building on it. Right. These are all the codes. Order on hold at dealership is a status code 1000. Order placed, so 1100. On December 13th, my order became 1100 status. Right. About a quarter of an inch of this book is 1100 status. I stayed in 1100 status for a long period of time. Uh. I got the actuals. <laughs> this is me. All right. So at eleven hundred, there it was, right there. Yeah, twelve thirteen, right? To twelve twenty-four, it sat at the dealership. They didn't put that thing into the computer until Christmas Eve. Wow. All right. Here's here's what you get into. The dealerships deal with things called allocation. The local territory, GM's going to say, Bob Stahl Chevrolet sells more Corvettes than anybody else. As a matter of fact, when I bought it in 2014, they were ranked 20th in the country for selling Corvettes. Hmm. The other dealerships around San Diego, up in Escondido, Kearney Mesa, way down the list. Right. Okay. Jimmy Johnson. Really? Right. I went to Jimmy Johnson Chevrolet. And I talked to them. I said, what's your allocation? They don't tell you. Right. This means how many they're going to get? How many they're going to be able to sell? How many GM is allowing them to sell? Oh, so there's a limit on how yeah. many they can sell. So these guys sit back. I didn't know they, that. They figure out with this option list, they figure out what cars they think are going to move in their area. 
Ah. Okay, and they'll come up with They'll get the yellows, the reds, the whites, the blacks, you know. But they're not going to pick the race package. Oh, yeah, of course not. Right. Right. I want the race package. <laughs> right. All right. Okay. I'm going to track my car. All right. I'm going to drive it aggressively. I want a car that's going to last. Yeah. Right? The chances of you going on a lot and finding a Corvette with the race package, pretty slim. Yeah. Yeah. All of right? course. Because the dealer's not going to waste his time. If he's projecting into the future, I can't sell that car. Of course. So the word allocation is really important when you're ordering a car. Find out what the dealer's allocations are. Turns out Bob Stahl was pretty high, 20th in the country. Mm -hmm. Bob Stahl is my dealership. I'm in Poway. He's all the way in La Mesa. All right. So I had to drive back to La Mesa frequently throughout this whole sales process to get everything working right. Right. Back to this. So I'm progressing through the works here. There's in February, what I discovered was that Way down here at the bottom, circled in yellow, you'll see that I ordered floor mats. Yeah. Those are dealer installed. Okay. Okay. Up here in yellow, I have circled museum delivery. Oh, uh-oh. Uh okay. Well, if you're going through this list, they go through it in order. All right. If you order something down here that precludes something up here, throws the order out. Ah, uh, so it's a, a misconfiguration. Yeah. Right. Right. Early part of February, I'm bugging the museum. Have you got my order? Have you seen the order? Is my car coming? Uh, like, yeah. You know? Yeah. Said, we don't see it, Pete. And finally, the guy there, Shane Webb at the museum says, Pete, he said, did you order any dealer installed options? I said, yeah, I ordered floor mats. He says, you just wiped out the museum delivery. We're not going to see that order. GM's in a dilemma. They don't know what to do because museum delivery is one thing. Floor mats is a dealer installed. Too much logistics. He says, they're in a mental meltdown over your order. <laughs> see what you did? <laughs> That's why President Obama had to get involved. <laughs> okay. Uh, true. I mean, these are the stupid things that happens to a large organization when they're trying to accommodate a custom order. Right, right. If you're going to order a car, be aware of this. Yeah. All right? Just be aware of those things. They're, they're going to happen. Right. All right? You've got to fight the allocation. Okay? Then the other thing is constraints. All right? And GM readily admits this. They didn't project into the future as many race packages, the Z51 parts that needed to make this car suitable for track use, all right. They didn't project enough parts. So the next thing that I ran into was this gap between when they, uh, I got to finish this out. So I discovered it on the 11th. I went down Bob Stall. We deleted the floor mats. We resubmitted the order. So this is February 11th. This is February 11th, 2014. So this is like two months later after the initial order. After the initial order. Right. It took them that long for me to discover that they had a, fault in their ordering right. system. Right. <laughs> okay. So we get it all straighted out. I sat there. I said, look, I'm not going to wait two weeks for you to submit the damn order. Right. You do it right now in front of me. Yeah, right. <laughs> all right. And they did. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> right smack dab in the middle, stalled on constraint 
not enough parts to build my car. Oh, no way. All right. Well, when are these parts going to be available? We don't know. It depends on our vendors. We're negotiating with them to increase their production to meet up with our production. You're into the nitty-gritty of a production facility. Yeah, now. this is the whole supply chain going here. <laughs> right. All right. <laughs> it was fantastic. So that's going on, the constraint issue I was fighting. But then the order got in, and it actually hit the museum. I got the 13th back there. That's wrong. The order hit that night, February 11th, at 8.45 in the Nobody's there, all right? But computer to computer, transaction to transaction. So how, are you like at home on your computer, no, like following this? No, I'm Bob Stahl. Oh, so you're Bob Stahl following this whole thing, right. okay? At 845 right. Pacific time. Yeah. My order hit. I didn't know that until the morning of the 12th. Okay. All right? I called Bob Stahl first thing in the morning. What's the story on the card? Did they get the order? Right. And he said, yes, they got the order. I said, all right. Now I call Shane Webb at Bowling Green. Okay. I said, you should have the order now, Shane. Right, <laughs> we right. We took the floor mats off. That problem's resolved. Now I only have to fight the constraint issue of the Z51 option. Right, right. He said, Pete, he says, I'm, we're really busy here this morning. He says, can, can we talk maybe tomorrow? I said, that was unusual because usually Shane was right on top. I mean, he's immediately engaged yeah, yeah. with you, right? Said, okay, Shane, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a call back, you know, so... That was the end of that phone call. I said, well, I guess I'll go in for lunch. You know, went in. Actually, it was a cup of coffee. I'll turn on the news. <laughs> the sinkhole. Oh, the sinkhole. Okay, he was a little distracted that day. He was a little distracted that day. His yeah. morning wasn't going well because right. the floor dropped out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So finally, he calls me back. All right. He says, Pete, he says, we got your order. I said, what time? He says, Around 9 o'clock, he says, I think. He says, you want the detail? And I said, of course I want the detail. But I said, around 9 o'clock, right? He says, yeah. I says, and your floor gave out at 3 a.m. He says, you heard? I says, it's on the national news, Shane. <laughs> right. <laughs> I says, it's kind of hard to ignore it. And he says, yeah. He says, it's a catastrophe. He says, we've lost eight cars. I said, Shane, pay attention here. My order hit at 8. Right. Okay. First thing in the morning, the floor drops out. Don't screw around with my order. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got powers that work for me here. Right, right. <laughs> right. It's a little joke. Yeah. But we had otherwise, a the hand of God will come in and <laughs> disrupt That's why those day. two are circled. Okay. And on my how, chart here. How did the people at Bob Stahl, Chevrolet, and Shane, were they courteous to you throughout this process? Always. 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 Because, I mean, you're a stickler, and I mean that in a good way because you know what you want. Yep. But sometimes, you know, the sellers might get annoyed by that. Did, well, you, did you run into that problem? Yes, I did. Um, mm -hmm. I actually went through three sales guys before I ended up with Mike Polite. Boy, you're just churning through them, man. I, I got it in my book. He readily admits. He says, I can't answer this guy's questions. Well, yeah, because some of the guys at the dealers, they only know this much, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, fortunately, Mike Polite, very smart guy, uh -huh. very educated. Mm-hmm. Can read body language very well. Right. He knows me. Yeah. Right. And we get along famously. Super. All right. And so he really helped you get to the finish line with this. Yeah. Us. I mean, Mike joined the company, or Kate, no, he, he was there, but he didn't get assigned to me until right around April. And that's when it was into production. Okay. 
So okay. into production, does that mean it's on the assembly line? No. <laughs> <laughs> that means production is now aware that there are parts coming in, okay, to support the construction of this batch of cars. Ah. All Laguna Blues. Okay, so they're kind they're of, all going they're to sort of pre-scheduling you, I guess, at that stage. Yeah, they're making sure that all the parts are going to hit the factory and the production line at the same time. You know, I did a job with Numi, uh, automa- I did a lot of business with auto manufacturers, but the one that sticks out is Numi, which is now Tesla. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, we've heard of them. But the production plant up there, I was working with the production supervisor at one point in time, and he says, you know, if we, if we had to build a car from scratch today, if we didn't have the knowledge, the tribal knowledge of production, he says, there's no way in hell we'd build a car. He says, the fact that we've been building them for 100 years and we've the production line process has evolved, mm-hmm. all right, all these little individual parts have to show up in coordination yeah. into the future of when this car is going to be, and everything has to align up. Right. You know? Like the just-in-time manufacturing, right? Absolutely. Yeah, because they don't want to have all this excess inventory of things they're not going to use for 10 months later. Absolutely. they got to get everything timed to land at just the right time. You know, I ran, I ran into another similar situation at Mercury Marine, the outboard motor people. Oh, yeah. I got called up there as sound analysis equipment. I was dealing with those in those days. So I got called up there to help them do a production screen on the sound of the outboard motors. Now, I'm somebody wants my stuff. I don't ask why. You know, I, I wait. So I was working with them, developing, the, putting microphones into the test cell to record the sound coming off of these outboard motors. Mm-hmm. And they would tag them. It, we rated them different ways. We had four different tata- categories, A, B, C, and D, with yellow-colored tags. The engines are identical, except for the yellow tags or the red tags or the blue tags. Right. Said, what are you guys doing? I says, the next room on the conveyor system where these outboards go is shipping. Right. <laughs> he said, yeah, that's what we're doing. We're, we're screening them. I said, you got to show me. So we went into the production. There's semis backed up. And they're taking these things off the conveyor system, dropping them into a box and shipping them out to the truck. And there was all the green tags were over here and all the blue tags were over there. And I said, what are you doing? There are different colors going. He says, yeah, that truck is going to Maine. We can't sell loud outboard motors to the people in Maine because the ponds and the lakes are pastoral. They're quiet. They don't want the noise. Ah. That truck, he says, that's going to Mississippi. And I said, why? He says, yeah, that's the loudest one we make. <laughs> and I said, right. Still matches all the specifications. Yeah. Identical engine, but it's just louder. Right. All right. Because... In Mississippi, it ain't working right unless it sounds loud. Right, right, <laughs> right. Know, it's yeah. going to be thrown. It's a true story. This is what American production is into. Well, it is. Well, with cars, I mean, think about all the regulations on cars in the state of California. Yep. You know, they got to make custom cars just for the state. That whole section right in there, California requirements. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Notice I didn't... They're, they're forced down your throat. Well, right, right. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. have any choice there. But anyway, so I made it through 
allocation, if you, your takeaway from this, if uh -huh. you're ordering, a friend of mine just ordered a BMW from the factory in Germany. Mm -hmm. I learned something new there. Here's an American citizen buying a BMW in Germany. They were very concerned about how long he was going to be spending in Europe because apparently until that car goes, he picks it up. Mm -hmm. But until it gets on the boat for transport to the U.S., they're responsible. <laughs> really? Yeah. So if he's just driving around Munich. <laughs> yep. Really? Exactly. I didn't know that. He didn't know that. Oh, but says, until he asked. BMW knew that. Yeah. They knew that. Yeah. 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 So, yes, you can buy BMWs, pick them up at the you know, museum there in Munich to get a tour of the plant. Wow. But, and I mean, you can custom order a, Toy a Toyota if you want. But you're going to get particular about it. Well, yeah. Are the differentiating features enough? Well, it turns out my friend with the BMW, yes, he's going to track his. So he wants the performance packages. Right. A special way. Right. My Z51, same way. Now, my gearing's a little bit different. Special right. order, right? Special order the gearbox. What did you ask for? What, what was made it different? I remember now. I was looking that up the other day. Hang on. I'm going to take this down. D yeah, go for it. All right. This studio is yours. And we'll, put, we'll bring this one up. Here. I'll... So man all right. comes with all of his Oop. own props. Yeah, there like we go. This. There we go. All right. You're familiar with that. That's the sticker. That's the window sticker. Let's move that trophy out of the way there for a bit. <laughs> so that's what you know. There's all the options. All right. They're all listed out. Okay. But that's the build sheet. That's the custom order. Can you read it and make sense out of anything it says there? A lot of codes and things. <laughs> I mean, there's sports seat and... Yeah. I mean, it's it's encrypted... Yeah. Till the cows come home. F-E-4. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. But that's actually in a packet uh, as soon as the frame comes off. Right. Out of the wood. Uh, and it's it's a production. You, mm -hmm. You'll see videos. I got videos of it. Okay. As soon as that frame is recognizable as a vehicle, this goes on it. Okay. And all the subsequent things, like what color seats do we put in this? What style of seats? What color? What Body color is this, thing, right? You know, I got size eighteen wheels in the front, nineteens in the back. All right, that's for more horsepower to the road. It's a real uh, drive. Uh, okay, right? it's a part of the Z fifty one performance package. Right, right. All right, so it's encrypted. There's my custom axle. That's why. That's the only place I know it shows up. And your axle is custom for the gearing. Yeah. Interesting. Because I wanted performance. Right. All right. Now, I'm not too good at high end. Right. right. A Corvette can go 180. 2014 Corvette was good for about 180, 890 miles per hour. Right. <coughs> I'm in my 60s. Right. I ain't doing 188 miles an hour. Right. But I want to get from turn one to turn two. Yeah. Quickly. So you wanted all those lower ratios so you can be nimble and fast. So I picked the axle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you got three choices. Oh, three uh, choices three, of axles. Three choices of axles. How did you do the research and figure this out? 
this here. <laughs> wow. I mean, how much time did it take you to prepare just to get to place the order? You must have this book. How long of how much time? Two years. Two years. Yeah, the rumors started to come out about the C seven. Um, yeah, lat, latter part of twelve. There were rumors that it was available. November of twenty twelve. Wow. Was the first picture I saw of it. And that's when you said, "I'm getting one of these." This is. I, I, they were addressing the issues. This, the hood vent. Mm-hmm. That's eighty percent of my engine heat goes out the top of the car. Ah. Okay. This side, transmission cooler. Right. Right there. Not only there, but back here as well. Okay. Differential cooler right there and back here as well. All right. The C5 and the C6 were what I call bottom breathers. Ah. All the hot air was underneath the car. All right. Your air intake was down low. You were picking up heated air off of the asphalt of the pavement mm-hmm. out in southwest United States. Yeah, yeah. All right. Going across the desert at 85 miles an hour. Yeah. I'm driving across pavements 120 degrees. That's right. All right. Nothing up here. That, and this is the old C5, C6. Yep. With the C7, 80% of my engine heat goes out the top. Mm-hmm. Transmission differential. Right here. But where's the the air intake? Right there. Right in the grill. Right in the front. No longer was it underneath the car. Interesting. Okay. Right. So this is a major engineering change to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, doing the trips I do, you know, from San Diego to Phoenix, San Diego to Bay Area. I mean, I hit freeway speeds and it gets hot. Yeah. Well, in your car now, because the heat is coming out. Like, if you got the top down, you can feel it. And every single gasket in that car in the C5 was getting fried. Ah. I had major engine transmission drivetrain issues coming down the road at me. Right. All right. Uh, This car's not going to have, it's going to have a 10, 15 year lifespan before somebody's going to have to dig into it and redo it. So, how long did you have that C5? See, I had it. I bought an 01. It was an 01. I bought it in 2007. Okay. So I'd had it five years. I took it from 30 some thousand miles to 110, 120,000 miles. The car was like five years old and only had 30,000 miles on it when you got it? Wow. So it's just like grandma just drove it to church, I guess, on Sundays. Pretty much. It was a garage <laughs> Corvette. Yeah. You know? Wow. So, yeah. The C5 never had a name. My 94, that was called Black Rose because that was the color of the paint. And I thought that uh, was poetic. Yeah, that's a little nice. story behind that, too. I had a guy, um, Mark Morgan. Uh, I hired him to find my car. I said, here's what I want. Go find me a used Corvette. Here's the price range I'm willing to spend. Go find me this car. About a week later, he calls me up and he says, I found your car, but you're not going to like it. <laughs> and I said, what's wrong with the car? He says, you're not going to like the color. He says, really bizarre. I said, I didn't specify a color. I said, all I wanted is subdued colors. No reds, no yellows. Yeah. I don't want to attract attention. Right. I want a nice little subtle. He said, well, it's subdued, but you're not going to like it. I said, where's the car? 
turns out it was up in Escondido. So I went to look at it, and I looked at it. I said, a purple Corvette? I've never seen a purple Corvette in my life, right? Price was right. Yeah, 13K. So I talked to the guy. I says, did you paint this? And he says, no. He says, that's a stock color. He says, that was an experimental color for Corvettes. Wow. In 94. Hmm. Went digging into the book. Sure enough, 500 cars, mate. Really? With this color. Okay. I said, oh. Okay. <laughs> so it's a special Corvette. Now this is a special Corvette. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. It's gonna, if I put it back into shape, it's going to have a high resale value because mm-hmm. it's going to be unique. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, I bought the Black Rose, and I loved it dearly. But they hadn't figured out how to build a car. It was constantly being worked on. Ah. As a matter of fact, and I put gimmicks on it. I mean, I, was, I wanted to track it. I never did. But, um, yeah, it— it got to the point where Wendy refused to drive it. It was so brutal. Right, right. <laughs> she says, oh, what a car I can ride in. I said, okay. So I sacrificed and went to the more docile C5. Okay. That's more creature comfort. How does she like Calypso? She's driven Calypso. Ah, nice. You let her drive it, really? Yeah. Okay. That's rare. Yeah, I know. That's, that's, <laughs> that's rare. I don't let everybody drive Calypso. But does she enjoy going on the long trips with you? No. Because uh, she doesn't like sitting for as long as I do. Yeah. I mean, when I drive on a cross-country trip, you know I'm doing another one, right? You were telling me about it, yeah. Yeah, I'm in the planning stage now. (laughs) I had a conversation with my mom this last summer, and she said, I want to have my ashes spread in various locations, one of them being La Jolla Cove. Okay. Okay. She's in Richmond. I said, okay, so I'll entertain her. We're filling time. Richmond, California? Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. Okay, okay. So we were killing some time and conversing, and I said, well, how big a thing is this? I mean, to have your ashes. She says, oh, it's, it's pretty big. I said, where? So we started talking about it. She wants to go down to my niece's house on North Carolina that's on the Atlantic Ocean. She wants to go to Nags Head, where we spent many, many summer vacations. You know, she wants to go. There's a creek that runs by the house where I grew up, back in Rhode Island. She wants some of her ashes spread there. I, I thought it was just killing time and having a conversation with her, but no, she made it a requirement. <laughs> but that's that's awesome, though, isn't it? So yeah. in May, I'm going up to pick up the urn, a two-compartment urn. My dad's on one side, my mom's on the other, and I'm going to go to, right now, nine different places to bodies of water in the United States. That is, that's cool. For their, as she says, your dad and my final trip across country. Right on. So the final ceremony will be here probably December of next year, but uh-huh. of this coming year. Yeah, this year, 2019. Yeah, December this year. Okay. We'll, we'll do La Jolla Cove. Wow. But she wants, <laughs> she's Mississippi and Missouri. I said, okay, two different, two different places. She said, no, same place. I want to be in the confluence. What's that? And she said, where the Mississippi and the Missouri meet, there's a place called the confluence, and you can see the the spinning eddies of the water of the two rivers going past. Really? I, 
Yeah, that's my react. Really? Yeah. <laughs> She's that's like, cool. Yeah, that's where I want. What, what, is there any? Had she been there, or she yeah. just read about it? She's, she's been. She's. They made what nine, ten cross country trips. Uh huh. Yeah, in their lifetimes, one of them by wagon. Wow. Yeah, my wow. dad's first parrot. Now this is Canada. She didn't. <laughs> that was the one concession. Apparently, I got. He says, "Ma, I ain't going to Canada." She says, "No, you don't have to go to Canada." So, I don't have to go to Canada, but. I mean, it was on the table for a minute or two. So you're going to Rhode Island, you're going to North Carolina, yeah. you're going to Missouri, Mississippi. Yep, yep. And Colorado River's the last one. She got particular about that one, too. She said, no, I don't want to do the Grand Canyon. No, I don't want to do lots of, you know. But this is, it's an excuse for a road trip for you. It's, to me, it's... <laughs> <laughs> so it's good. If you look at the map, if you look at San Diego, North Carolina, Nags Head, going up the East Coast there, there's Bowling Green's Raceway. Ah, uh, okay. There's Virginia International Raceway. Go up to Rhode Island on the way back. You can run into Watkins Glen. Syri- I got to stop in Syracuse to the Figure Lace. Watkins Glen. Yeah. Then you got to pass through Indianapolis. So, yeah, Calypso's going to have some time, on, some track time. I've already got the Bowling Green reservation made, so I got track day at Bowling Green, so. which didn't exist. When, when I picked up my car from the factory, the raceway didn't exist. They were still paving it. So that that's like a raceway, not like a yeah. test drive track? No, it's a raceway. Wow. Yeah. So they like have NASCAR races or similar? They're starting. Right now it's just private stuff. Companies okay. are hiring it and people can go in and drive their new Corvettes on it and things like that. But uh-huh. I, I actually saw some videos on YouTube with Porsches and BMWs. I said, oh, boy. there goes the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> but Okay. So where do we go in, in, in the production? Oh, got notice. Finally got notice the car was being built. Let's see. Right here. Order broadcasted for production. Internal plant owner produced the VIN. That was on July 14th. The vehicle went to into the roll on 721. It came out. Vehicle available to ship, 725. Vehicle invoiced means the dealership found out about it seven twenty five and so uh, once it's on the assembly line it's boom 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 three days yeah it just all the time to get to that point get to that point and, and those damn floor mats screwed you up and the floor mat screwed me up yeah so yeah that's all that stuff done away with the order sheet and all that's done away with now now there's more there's my build book this is a book that they. Give you as an option. Okay. Look at this. So, yeah, certification, letter of authenticity. But there's my car being built. Wow. That's special. There's another option on the order sheet where you can go and walk along and see your car being built. Really? Yeah. They'll, let, they'll let you in? Yeah, that's I'm, five grand. Oh, yeah, but you're going to really... <laughs> no, I'm not yeah. walking it through. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you take pictures. Okay? Yeah. But the picture you die for, this, this, is, this is the whole reason to ordering a car. Odometer, zero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's virgin right there. Yeah. There's my label. Oh, you got your name on the label. Oh, specified by Pete Neald. That's on the dashboard of my car. Sweet. 
It's nice. Yeah. That's beautiful. So what do you do? You're Southern California, San Diego guy. All right. You just got your brand new car. What do you do? The next book. Route 66. Ah, uh, the mother road. So there's my mom. Oh, right on. She was my first passenger. Nice. Drove from uh, Bowling Green to Richmond, and she went for a ride. Notice she's color-coordinated. Okay. Yeah, she's wearing her Laguna Blue outfit, right? Yeah. So she gets in the car. Yeah, she's 96 in that picture. My sister and I are starting to watch her. 96. She looks good for 96. Yeah. We're starting to watch her for her mind, you know. Yeah. Dementia. Yeah. All that stuff's starting to come. So we're driving down to the river walk. See if I get a picture of that. Nope, I skip right up onto the Route 66 trip. But this is the book on the Route 66. But let me strip back to my mom for a second. We got about maybe a half a mile away from her place on my way to my sister's. And she says, Don't get glue on the windshield. I'm going, What? Here's her mind going. I'm, Mom, what do you mean? She says, you don't remember. She says, I bought you a Corvette when you were 14 years old. You built it on the kitchen table. She says, and you oversquosed the glue when you were gluing the roof onto the car, and you got glue on the windshield. Nice. So she's, she's sharp as a tack. She was sharp as a tack. She remembered that. Wow. And, and you... she remembered that car she took that car back to the store, even though it was my mistake. Mm -hmm. My mom being the second grade teacher in the town, my dad being the clergyman, she pulled her political weight, and she got a replacement model. Really? Wow. But she says, this is your special car. Don't get glue on the windshield. That's sweet. Yeah. That I mean, that's... That's more than just sweet. I mean, that's like, that's very special. That's very, that was very special. So there's my Route 66 trip. I love how you document everything. I mean, this, this is, this is your pursuit of happiness, man. And I'm digging this. This is unbelievable. That's what makes it possible. That's my family. Oh, look that's at that. That's my West Coast family. That's my East Coast family. And they are very tolerant people. <laughs> they put up with me a lot. But there's a museum delivery. There's going through. This is the calendar. This is in that book. This is yeah. the actual calendar as I was changing the codes. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's my mom's trip. Oh. Had the car six months. Put it up on the lift for something. I can't remember what I had it going up on a lift for. Underneath the driver's seat, underneath the car, that's what I found. I'm saying, what the hell's that? National Corvette Museum, R8C, Museum Delivery. Initials, date, initials, names. So th those are the guys that built your car. These are the guys that built my car. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They autographed it. Yeah, nice. All right. That's cool. Nobody ever told me that. Yeah, well, it's like an Easter egg. It's, it's yeah. something you just discovered. There's Mike. There's my sales guy. Okay, Mike Polite. Mike Polite. Most okay. polite guy I ever knew. My first ding. Oh, no. 
Uh, <laughs> so this is the first year of the car, all the different. And yes, I have wrecked it. Really? Oh, no. Okay. Well, what happened? Tell me that story. Okay, it started off at the door ding. Where is it? Yeah, January. A BMW backed into me. Oh, those in a BMW parking. people. I hate, I hate them. <laughs> All right. But I took it into the dealership, and they said, yeah, we can fix this. And there it is being fixed. But they had it parked waiting for the paint to dry, and a tow truck came by and grabbed the front wheel housing and pulled the front bumper off. Oh, just like a freak thing, huh? Freak thing. So said, is the my car, car was ready to go. It was like just sitting there. So they I, had a, called me. Oh, so you're on your way over to pick her up. Right. I said, are you on your way down here yet? I said, uh, yeah. And they said, um, we'll talk to you when you get here. Uh, and those are the pictures I took uh, of it. And Mike, bless his heart, comes back to the repair area. I'm coming in service now. I'm not sales anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in service. And he looked at me and said, you got to make this up to him. You don't know this guy <laughs> and this car. Right. All right. Right. So they said, well, what do you want? I said, one option I always wanted, but I just couldn't spring the money for it, was the carbon fiber dash. Ah. I wanted the carbon fiber dash, but I just couldn't justify the additional cost. I was going to go over my budget. They gave me a carbon fiber dash. Ooh. Well, how much is that worth? I think it's about $1,300 option. Nice. Good. Well-deserved. Yeah. Well-deserved. So February yeah. went well. I mean, I, I, I got the carbon fiber dash, and the rest of it is just miscellaneous trips. There's my first track days. So, so when you are on the track, you went, you went to Laguna Seca, right? That was a big one. That's the most recent. Yeah. So how do you get on a track? I mean, you can just go sign up and pay money, and you can get on? Is it they have easy? a thing called a Corvette Corral. Well, they have corrals. Porsche's got corrals. BMW's got corrals. But you, as an enthusiast, you can sign up for a little bit more money and attend their corral. So rather than parking out in general parking, you're on the track. Wow. You're in Corral. I'm on do Long Beach here in April. Oh, nice. <coughs> yeah, they have the Grand Prix there. What, what, when is that? Is that in April? April. So yeah. they let you on the track before the other guys get on the track? Parade laps. Really? Yeah. But if you space yourself between the guy in front of you, you can accomplish your goal. Well, what's your goal? Well, it's at Laguna Seca, it was um, uh, the corkscrew. Oh, that's the apex and the apogee, right? That's apex and apogee <laughs> over, a, over the distance of 740 feet. You go from, you're dropping the equivalent of a five-story, six-story building. Really? So yeah. it's not a flat surface? Not a flat surface. No. It's a challenge. I'll bet. And uh, I remember from my, when my sister, this is going way back. Yes, I loved European sports cars. I loved MGs, Austin Healy's, Alfa Romeo's. Mm -hmm. All right. And uh, it happened at Laguna Seca. When I was 14 years, 15 years old, I came out to visit my sister. Her husband was going to the Monterey Postgraduate School. Mm -hmm. So I came out to visit her and spend the month with her. And they took me to Laguna Seca. It had just 
recently opened. And they were racing these little foreign sports cars around this place. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, that was my first intravenous feeding. So any connection, Laguna Seca and then Laguna Blue, the color? Is there a linkage there? You see the poetry here? Okay. All All right. Right. All right. So, yes, I was a European sports car guy for a long time, and it, it started at Laguna Seca. So Calypso had to go to Laguna Seca. Yeah. Nice. And except this one turn there, the corkscrew, 8 and 8A. I mean, it's they don't even give it a separate number. It's so damn close. Because you were, as you're coming out of turn 8, you're immediately having to consider 8A. You're airborne. But it's like an S turn that's going downhill. Yes. Wow. Well, for those that are watching the podcast, if you're interested in it, I have a full video analyzing the corkscrew because <laughs> I did it at 27 miles per hour. Now, most of my experience with the corkscrew comes via PlayStation. Ah, yeah, nice. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. So I have practiced the corkscrew at Laguna Saker from. Weekend after weekend after weekend, playing um, Gran Turismo Six, mm. and it's a cool, cool program. They do do a very good job. You don't get the feel of doing the turn, but you can work out your apexes and apogees and all that stuff and figure mm-hmm. it all out. The best I could do is thirty-five miles an hour. Really, and I'd break yeah. <laughs> frequently. You know, will you like spin out or something <laughs> yeah. like that? Yeah, you'd lose it. How, how fast do the pros go through that? Well, I asked him that question because I went through at 27. I can handle this. Right. I did it at 30. Oh, I lost visibility of the road. This is scary. Yeah. I went through at 33. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing 35. Right. All right. But at the corral, I'm talking to the drivers, the professionals. They're going to race the next day. They're going to take a race. And I'm saying, what speeds do you? And they go, oh, 40, 45, 50 miles an hour. I said, oh, man. You're, wow. You're in a whole nother league, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. You know. yeah. But then when I got the videos back of the race, and I got my own videos from being in Lagoon, you know, doing it at 27, 30, and 33. I said, if I measure the frames of video, I can calculate exactly how fast they went through those turns in the race conditions. Nice. All right. So I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> of course you they did. They lied. Ah. 35. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the best I can do. Right, right. On, on uh, Gran Turismo. So I, I don't feel too bad that at 68 years old, I can do the corkscrew with the best of them. Good for you. Yeah. And when were you there? September, just before the election. Okay. So not too yeah. long ago. Yeah. Yeah. Like five months ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Route 66 we've covered. We've covered the product. People who order cars, let me tell you, it's a learning experience. And you get to meet some really cool people, all right, along the way. Yeah. So in the process, I mean, Mike, yes, he's got a lot on his agenda. I would love to have had him here and and confronted him with the issues of allocation because Mm -hmm. the dealerships protect that. I have not been able to get anybody to tell me the details behind allocation in ordering a car, and it's an important factor when you're ordering your car custom built. Right. So. Because they like like if they were budgeted to say they were going to get 40 Corvettes. Mm-hmm. 
your custom order is one of those 40, right? And on a custom. $1,000 down, holds the deal. Right. Guess what? That car is built. All right. They're stuck with that car if I walk away. Ah, right. <laughs> All right. I could have gone in on July 25th and said, nah, never mind. Give me my deposit back. And they, under California law, they would have to give the deposit back. And there's a Laguna Blue Z51 Corvette sitting in Bowling Green that they're on the nut for. Ah. So, yeah, they're very careful about, would we be able to sell this car in Southern California? Well, I wonder, are, are custom cars more profitable for the dealer? Um, no. Well, the, yes. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Here's the issue. You're not going to pay a discounted price on the first of, of the car. Right. Okay. If you're ordering, if you're sitting in the middle of the C6 production year and you're talking about buying a C7, don't, you're not going to get any price break. Right. You are manufacturer suggested retail price. That's right. Period. Period. Yeah. All right. Yeah. There's no negotiation yeah, yeah. at all. All right. Now you wait two years. Now you can start negotiating price. E even on a custom. Even on a custom. Interesting. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because the right right when the the new the new generation comes out, the dealer has a little bit more power in that negotiating process. Right. That makes right. sense. So. There's intricacies to the concept of allocation at dealerships that I'd love to know about, and I was kind of hoping that Mike would be here so we could nail him on it, but <laughs> no so, so. We could have like the, the Corvette version of the Jerry Springer show here on the John Riley Project. We'll nail him on the allocation. <laughs> so you're going to come on May 19th? Yeah, yeah, that's the one at the Embarcadero, right? The Embarcadero. Yeah, it? yeah, I'll oh, come for sure. And for those of you that are watching the podcast, I'll be sure to include a link to a video. Uh, two years ago, they had dr uh, drones. Oh, nice, yeah. It is great. Yeah. It's a great day. If you, if you want to listen to people talk about Corvettes... Yeah, I'd love to go. I mean, because I, I often said that when I was a young child, that if I ever, you know, could buy any car I wanted, it was going to be a Corvette. And it, a lot of it's because right down the street from my house as a kid was a guy that had a Corvette. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a beautiful car. And, you know, see, little things like that stick with you when you're a child, as you've just explained. And then they, they, they're still with you as an adult. Yeah. yeah. Here, here, I have a question. What is a Stingray? What does that mean? Stingray was a moniker they threw on, I was it, C3, C2, C3. It was back in the age of the split window. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, but it became a model name. Ah. Okay. Okay, like C3 was the Stingray or some, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was a Corvette, and then it became the Corvette Stingray. So there was always the rumors that they were going to come out with different versions mm. of the Corvette that were going to be named different things. Even back then, they were delusions of grandeur. Right, right, right. right? That Corvette was going to become its own, like Chevrolet. Ah. They're going to be, I mean, Porsche, see them now. They get the Panamera. Mm -hmm. That's a van. Yeah, it is. It's not a 911, folks. No, no it's not. <laughs> it's, believe yeah. me, 
you're not going to go out and take a Panamera on the track. No, not at all. <laughs> and get anywhere close to what you can get. Yeah, Mercedes has those big square SUV things that look yeah. like a Land Rover. But there's yeah. always been rumors that Corvette's going to do that. Interesting. As a matter of fact, I'm hoping, and there's still with the C8 about to come out, which will be the first mid-engine Corvette. Okay. Let me go to, I don't know if they show the undercarriage here or not. Yeah, maybe they do. There's your engine. Right. All right. That engine is up by the front wheels. This yeah. is a front engine car. Right. Okay. Transmission and differential. There's a, there's a big thing down the middle of the real car called a torque tube. Okay. Because you go from the flywheel mm -hmm. directly all the way. You're driving an engine RPM is right alongside you. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Till you get to the transmission and differential. Mm -hmm. All right. So there's a 50-50 weight split. Ah, okay. On the C7. All right. So that's good for handling. C5, they made the first step. Okay, C6, they improved it. Okay, C7, no problem. Nice. All right. But you've still got a massive amount of weight up front. It's always been the move. Rear engine cars do better weight-wise. Mm. So they're building the very first Corvette with a rear engine car. Oh, wow. It's called the C8. Okay. If you're thinking about ordering it, you're too late. It, I mean, the, the order books are already filled. Wow. So they're, they're going to be coming out real soon then? 2020. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, people are ordering now for 2020, like a yeah. year in advance. Yeah. Whoa. All right. So that's the other problem I had initially is I wanted to buy the car. Okay. But the first thing I had to wade through was all the people who had ordered three sevens before me. There was wow. a bunch. Wow. Calypso. 34,328. Is that right? Where's my VIN? Yeah. 32,438. There's my, the number of Corvettes that existed before Calypso. Oh, wow. Interesting. Part of your VIN. Ah, you know, okay. You can know yeah. when your car was manufactured. Okay, you know the order. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that makes sense, actually. Yeah. I got a separate chart I can provide you if you want to break down the entire VIN, VIN number. But, I mean, that's G means it's a Corvette as opposed to really? a VW. You know. Okay. So, each of those has a significant. Yep. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So, nice. the VIN number is a very... They're, very they're, they're a code. It's not just a string of letters and numbers. Right. Yeah. You can break it all down. Right on. So. Okay. What um, else have you got here, Pete? All right, you've seen, I've always had this, even during the political season, I had that, so yeah, people you did. could recognize my car. You know, yeah. I told you this story that John Carson, I talked to him, and he was saying, was Pete running for election or was Calypso running for election? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not going to go door to door, was my thinking during the campaign. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be intrusive. I'm not going to—I hate it. I'm on Butterwood Court, on my house, the polo model mm -hmm. for the Palisades. Your living space is in the back of the house. I got a 30-foot walk to go yeah. into the doorbell. Yeah, yeah. All right. I hate answering the door. Yeah. All right? So I'm not going to force other people into doing that. But if you're out in your front yard, you're in your driveway. Right. Then you're free game. Or, you're fair free game. Game. or fair game. Yeah, fair yeah, game. yeah, yeah. So 
I said, I'm not going door to door. I'm going to drive the damn car. Right. All right. And I'll drive around the neighborhoods until I see somebody out. Yeah. So that's what I did. Right on. Yeah. So it was. But then we get to Butterwood Raceway. See the number, 74? Yeah. Where's my racing pictures? I don't think I have any racing pictures. But 74, uh-huh. well, it's on my license plate, C7. Oh, yeah. C7, 74. Ah, okay. All right, C74 PJN. So 74 is on my license plate. I, I got up to Spring Mountain. They get a, they're going to Spring Mountain Raceway. That's this book. <laughs> it's another book. <laughs> another book. But this is their book. This is talking about the Motorsports motor Park. This is where the school is. A school? Yeah. Teach you how to race a car. Oh, oh, wow. That's a resort up an hour west of Vegas. Nice place. Wow. Well, I've heard about p- places, yeah, where people can race cars out yeah. there. So the first thing I, I did is I went to the school, and I said, okay, yeah, I can do this. So they had track days, Corvette track days, mm-hmm. and they said, well, what's your number? Uh, do I need a number? And they said, yeah, we need to identify your car on the track. And they handed me a roll of masking tape. They said, go out and put a number on the side of your car. Okay. Uh, as I'm walking the 20 feet out of the car, 74. There you go. 74 is my number. Okay, because that's the license plate. So now I have, you You and I talked, you did slot cars when you were a kid. Oh, yeah, I love slot cars, yeah. Do you know where the technology's gone with those things? It's amazing. It's not just pushing the gas anymore. They got extra buttons. Like you for, can change lanes. Change lanes? You can change lanes. Well, uh, how does the car, it has a pin. How does it get to the other lane? There's sections in the track where you can go from the left inside to the outside of the track. You uh-huh. press a button on your controller, it's going to flip a little lever, and you change. Oh, just like the trains. Exactly. Interesting. Right. Pit stops. They okay. got a pit stop area. Right? But what would you need a pit stop for with a soccer? For gas. They simulate gas usage. On the slot cars. Oh, so you could run out of gas. You run out of gas. Oh, that's cool. When you you first start off, your speed is a certain amount, okay, because you got a full tank. You're heavier, all right? The mid-range, all right, you're going to get your maximum speed. But then you're going to get slowing down because you're starting to miss. You you, you don't have a full tank of gas. you got to pull over into the pits and get fuel. No way. (laughs) It's great. All right? I heard about it. I said, oh, i got to check this out because I don't like driving Calypso at night, all right? What am I going to do? i got no Calypso to drive. Now you do. <laughs> all right? <laughs> I'm going to check out this, sports, this slot car stuff. So a friend of mine at the, at the Corvette Club told me about this Marine who had bought uh, this Carrera. It's a European company, slot car track. He said, you got to check it out. So I called him up. He'd bought it for his house over in Germany. Now he's stationed in Camp Pendleton. All right. He says, I don't have room for it. I got to sell it. He says, it's brand new. So I went up and looked at it. And I said, no, it seems pretty intricate. All right. I'm buying this not only for myself, but my granddaughters as well, my yeah. grandson. I mean, yeah. these three and four, five-year-olds, yeah. you know. He says, calls his son over. His son's five, right? 
<laughs> Kid was driving it. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. The addiction starts early. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> All right? I, I can really screw up my grandkids. <laughs> right. You know? So, all right, how much do you want for it? Yeah, I don't know. He says, I, you know, it's brand new. So I said, all right, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll give you 500 bucks for it. All right. Complete set. He said, okay. Two Corvettes, yellow and blue. Oh, uh, I'd have a blue one. <laughs> yeah. Corvette racing's yellow. Blue's Calypso. Got to have it. You'll notice I did a damn good job. Yeah. So anyway. But that's not a slot car, is it? Yeah. What, let me well, damn. Okay, yeah. I'm I'm used to the HO scale ones that I used to do, the little ones. You're going to have to come down to Butterwood Raceway. Oh, my. Oh, Butterwood Raceway. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, That's I'd love right. to. So this is turning into an addiction of its own. Oh, yeah. These are wonderful. Yeah. I, I race. I used to. I remember I, I, when I was in high school, I used to race BMX, bicycle mm -hmm. motocross. And one year I broke my collarbone. So that summer I would always go to the hobby store and I would race slot cars. And there was a HOs, and I think we had like a track that was eight lanes wide. Mm -hmm. And people, there were some people that were so into it. And this is probably like in 1980, 1981, you know. And I'm, yeah, the, the probably come, heck, that's like 40 years ago. So the technology's come a long way since then. Yeah. This is cool. I got more Wi-Fi at Butterwood Raceway than I can shake a stick at. Nice. I, I got a tablet that ties into the controller. So it keeps track of all your lap times, who's on the track, where your best time is. What really? Yeah. I mean, it's really intricate. Then that app broadcasts to my phone, all right, if I'm out there with four other cars and I'm racing number 74, all right, I can keep track of how 74 is doing against all the competition. Oh, nice. <laughs> Sweet. All right? Yeah. Well, let's when you were playing slot cars and you wrecked, Yeah. all right, you're always pissed and anxious to get to the car to get yeah. to the wreck because yeah. everybody else is gaining time. Caution. Everybody stops. Really? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I told I'm in touch with the programmer that's writing the software for it. I says, look, I says, right now you got an icon, you know, pause. You gotta put it, make it a yellow flag. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You gotta have yeah. a yellow flag by itself and then a you know, full course caution. I yeah, mean, everybody right. into the pits. Yeah, you know, right, right. You can do this always flat. You, I don't know. You, we'll see what he does. How big is your track? I, how big is the table that you've set it up on? Like this, bigger, bigger than a dining room table? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was originally this one over the top of the pool table we have in our bonus room. Right. Okay. But there was so much extra room around that pool table. Because when you're lining up to make a shot, oh, yeah, you yeah. have a lot of room. Yeah. So I encroached upon that. Yeah, Wendy's thrown down the gauntlet, though. She says, no more track. <laughs> I have 15 meters of track. That's awesome. So uh, so that's what I'm doing. That's my latest thing now is when I'm not in Calypso. Right. I'm not thinking about my next track time. Right. All right. Or analyzing the one I just did. Now on the racetrack. That is awesome. I found a new little camera, NG Mini Eye, mm -hmm. less than a cubic inch. Really? Was it 0.695 ounces? It glues onto the top of this thing really nicely. Ah, uh, you were showing some of that video online. Yeah, on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. I put it on Facebook. 
<laughs> yeah, now there's a slot car we didn't have as kids. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> if I can figure out a way, you see, I already crashed the window here. Uh, you got glue on the windshield. <laughs> that's not glue. That's a fracture mark. It, it, I, I flew off the table and I fractured the windshield. <laughs> hey, there, yeah. there, there's you inside right there. I can see it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I got a black helmet. Okay, yeah, that's your helmet right there. Yeah. Oh, Calypso, yeah. By the way, this is a fireproof thing. This you put over your head, you got your face there, you know. It's like you're about to rob a bank. Yeah. And then there's the helmet. Yeah. But that's all I have to do to my car. That's to it? take it on a track. Really? Yeah. That. Right there. Uh, yeah. As long as you have that label on there, yeah. you're, now you're legal to, in a Corvette to go on a track. Wow. You meet all the requirements. Do you have all the airbags in the car and everything, too? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow. So, yeah, I guess I can put that back up for show. All right, yeah. now, question and answer time. <laughs> I think we've covered almost all the questions I had. Yeah. As we've been going through this. Okay. It is an addiction. This is unbelievable. And, and I, I mean, seriously, the, the documentation of the process and how you're keeping all this for posterity is fabulous. And, uh, you know, like I say, the, this podcast is about life, liberty, and the, the pursuit, pursuit of happiness. happiness. So you are living your life. Yeah. You are flourishing in your life. And you are pursuing happiness. Here I was. Lincoln, Rhode Island is a very small town. It's half the size of Poway population was. Mm -hmm. Always has been. Um, Rhode Island and Providence plantations. I mean, that's how far back this goes. My house was built in Washington's second term of office. Wow. All right. Okay. Like that's in the late 1700s, right? Right. So I'm coming out to Poway, and they talk about history as being the turn of the last century. Yeah. You know, they <laughs> yeah. don't know history. No, they don't. When we remodeled a house in Rhode Island, we had this central beam between a new addition that we were putting on and mm -hmm. the, the existing. We couldn't cut the beam. The saws broke. Really? Because the wood. Was like petrified? <laughs> oak. New oh, it's oak. Oak. And I mean, it was so tough, you couldn't cut it. So that house is, to this day, has got a beam that you can't do anything with. I'm going back there to do the ash spreading, and I'm in touch with the owners of the house now. And they said, is there anything we can do about the beam? <laughs> nope. <laughs> we tried. But the reason I was doing that is I went to the Lincoln school system. Uh, my dad was the clergyman for the Episcopal Church. My mom taught second grade, and then later after I left home, the fourth grade. And um, my car, transportation, going to the high school parking lot in the mid-60s when muscle cars were coming out all over the place was a 63 Chevy Biscayne Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People were driving Mustangs and Camaros and Barracudas and GTOs and 440. Mm -hmm. Not me. I was down the end of the road. So, yeah, it had a big impact on me. Um, 
someday I'm going to own a Corvette. That was the first statement. Second statement was, damn it, I'm going to have a custom-built Corvette. Made it happen. You deserve it. Your life is custom-built. You need yeah. a custom-built car. Well, that, that's the next podcast we got to do. There's a friend of mine, Charlie McVeigh, that I want to bring up here and talk about. Moments in life. Okay? Instantaneous moments that can change your entire destiny. Oh, I've, I've got a bunch of them myself. They I, are... I mean, Charlie's biggest mystery is where the hell do we find people who ride submarines? How is this possible? <laughs> you know, right. They're top-notch people. Mm-hmm. They're the best of the best. Where do these people come from? What what cast of stones? I mean, it, his whole career focused on an incidental moment. It's magical, but it happens to all of us. Yep, it you, does. You said you have many of them. But yeah. It, it's an interesting topic. Yeah, you meet a person, it's a, 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 something that looks like a benign decision, takes you down a different path. Yeah. And next thing you know, your life is completely different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's where I, with Jan Medical, I mean, that's where I am right now is, is I'm doing research work into something in the, that may save somebody's life someday. Not yet. We're not fully mm -hmm. FDA certified. We got to right. go through all that certification process. But maybe... We've come up a way of doing something that's different. Well, let's let's save that for another podcast because I think that would be a wonderful topic. This is this is this podcast is about Calypso. This is the Calypso podcast, yeah. So, but I think that'd be a fun one to get a couple of people together and we can share like those three or four inflection points in our life where we move down different paths. So, finding your happiness—that's what this is about. Yeah, is following your passion. Yes. You have to follow your own passion. What gets you? Sometimes it takes a long time to figure that out. Because <laughs> you go through this whole self-discovery process mm -hmm. to learn who you really are and what your passion is. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is an adventure. Yeah. You know, and I'm still figuring things out. So I the video I got of me going through the corkscrew turn at 33 miles an hour, which was not 35. I was in a Two yeah. miles per hour less than my safety margin because I at thirty five I wreck cars. Oh well, yeah, <laughs> this is my car. Right. Well, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. I'm not going to wreck this. And I hit that turn and I'm dropping you know six seven hundred feet here in this next. Oops! I can't even see the road anymore. Holy shit! What came back? Dive! 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 Ah, I screwed up the audio track on the video because that's what I screamed going through that turn. Was right. Dive, dive, dive. Like dive. Because <laughs> that's what it felt like. Yeah. All of a sudden the bottom just falls out. Yeah, yeah. And you don't see the road. You don't even see the guy in front of you anymore. He's mm -hmm. gone. He's below you yeah, somewhere. he's below you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did he stay on the track? Yeah, right. You know, it, it's, racing is, is an interesting thing. Unbelievable. But that's how you're pursuing your happiness. Yeah. So you, you're you're driving Calypso in Poway, going cross country. Campaigning in it. You're campaigning in it. You're you're uh, on the racetrack, um, and then you have the mini Calypso on the Butterwood Raceway. On the Butterwood Raceway. That is beautiful. So, yeah. well, Pete, thank you. 
This has been a great conversation. It's yeah. a pleasure. My pleasure, yeah. So um, I just want to say this to the audience. Um, you know, thanks for, for joining us and, and the, this conversation. Hopefully you've got a lot of value out, at, out of this conversation. There are ways that our audience can help us, Pete. And uh, I just want to share that. I'll put that out there. If, if you like what you're seeing, you like what you're hearing, there are ways you can help. Uh, kind of spread the word about the John Riley Project. The first thing you can do is you can listen or watch to every episode that we have. Yeah. You know, and this is episode 34. Um, the second thing you can do is share this with a friend, you know. Or uh, friends. Or I'm, friends. Tonight, I'm going to the club meeting for the National, uh, for the North County Corvette Club meeting. Yeah. In my come time to tour, I have to speak on behalf of Corvette Racing. Oh, nice. All right. I let them know what happened, you know. Uh-huh. So anyway, I'll stand up tonight and say Watch the John Riley Project. There you go. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll have it posted later today. And so we we'll can- We'll see. Okay. And, <laughs> if uh, not, I'll, I'll be appending it. Okay. Or, yeah. Or maybe we'll be posting it. We'll, we'll get it up as soon as we can. So watch, if you want to help, watch the videos, listen to us on Spotify, on iTunes, on Stitcher, all the major podcast platforms. Um, share with a friend. Uh, follow us on social media. You know, we've got the John Riley Project Facebook page. We've got the secret Facebook page. And you're part of that, right? I just joined. Yeah, the John Riley Project Insiders Group, where we're going to have a lot more additional conversation and some different things going on there. You can join us there on Facebook. Um, and if you'd like to, you know, help in other ways. Maybe you're a business. And you'd like to be a sponsor. We'd love to have you. Or maybe you just want to donate to the cause and help us increase our production value so we can have more and more content for our audience. There are ways that you can donate to help. And if you visit our website at johnreillyproject.com, there are lots of opportunities to do that. So I think I've, I'll be back. I, 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 I know you will. This is number four, not yeah. counting our, our failed one. We had one where we had technical glitches. Right, right. Um, but this is our fourth official. We'll have a fifth, maybe a sixth. The first rule of Italian driving. What's that? Was that Thunderball, one of the cross-country race movies? It's the, Italian like driver, the Italian driver gets into the into the Ferrari. He's got his navigator sitting alongside him. He says, now I'm going to teach you the first rule of Italian driving. He grabs the rearview mirror off the windshield, and he snaps it off, and he throws it out of the car. He <laughs> says, what's behind us is not important. <laughs> it's the first rule of Italian driving. Well... I think those are outstanding closing words here for our episode. <laughs> Let's keep our focus on the road ahead, right? That's right. Okay. Thank you very much, everybody. Bye-bye.